Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we do thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you would renew our minds and our hearts. God, I, I want to receive everything that you have for us. And I believe that's our heart here. So whether we're on site, we're online, we know that God, ultimately what we want is we want to follow you into every place that you tell us to go, receive everything that you say is for us, give away everything you tell us to give away through the Holy Spirit. And we want to build all of this on your word. And so I pray that we would honor you especially as we study together. I pray you'd bless everyone that's here and strengthen us together in Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. As we look at the role and the reality of New Testament prophets, um, some of the questions that I get asked before we ever even get into this lesson is questions like this. Is there a difference between prophets in the Old Testament and those mentioned in the New Testament? The answer simply is yes. Um, are there still prophets today? I'm going to argue that there are. Um, is the gift of prophecy the same thing as the calling of a prophet? And the simple answer is no. I'm going to hopefully unfold this for you. If everyone can prophesy, do we really need to identify people as prophets? Um, and my answer to that is yes. And I want to acknowledge before we get further into it that part of why talking about New Testament prophets Part of why it can be difficult for some of us, not all of us, is because we have an issue with titles, all right? When we give business cards, it says, I'm the president and the foreman, the leader, the director, the instructor. We love titles. I think people have a love affair with titles. It's my personal opinion. And the church is not exempt from this type of thing. And I think we misunderstand the purpose of titles. In the new covenant, titles are not, they're job descriptions. They're actually not meant to be titles. And so I appreciate honor when people call me Pastor Ben and they do that out of honor. I appreciate that. And actually, I understand it, especially for our kids. We want to teach honor in a society that seems to be losing that. It makes a lot of sense to me. But if you just called me Ben, I wouldn't be offended because my mom and dad gave me that name and I do like it. And I won't call you Real Estate Joe or whatever, you know, but, but we love titles. And I, for me, I've just kind of moved beyond that. I don't I'd rather you, uh, it's more important to me what you say about me when I'm not around than what you say to me when I am around. Let that one sink in, all right? <laughs> and so when somebody says, my name's Prophet Ben, all right, it just does, it draws something up inside of us. But here's what I want to tell you. We've accepted Pastor Ben, and we've even accepted Evangelist Billy Graham, but we have not accepted Apostle, and we have not, and we have not accepted Prophet. You can call someone a teacher. Well, that, one, that person's a teacher, but nobody says teacher Steve, all right? We just say S Steve. So there are accepted titles that we allow because they are culturally accepted. And so depending upon the church that you came from, you might be okay with some of these titles or you might be offended by them. And it's important for us to acknowledge that part of the discussion cannot be about titles. We have to just accept what the Bible says about whatever it's talking about and the Bible does not talk about these things the same way that we sometimes receive them, like a title. They are job descriptions. They are functional. 
They are operative ministry callings that God gives to people in order to manifest his power and his character in specific ways. That's all that this is, is that we're talking about. And because we read just a handful of people, as I showed you in the Old Testament, there's like 15 people that wrote scripture that were called prophets in the Old Testament. But there's hundreds of people that were mentioned as prophets in the Old Testament and you don't even know their names. And so what we've done is we, like a lot of religion, is we exalt specific people, specific titles, and then we separate ourselves from who those individuals are, and we claim that we could never be them. But the, the, the misunderstanding that we already have before we've started is that those people only represent a handful of those among, uh, among those that are called and gifted and capacitated in a specific way. They don't represent everybody that's called a prophet. And there were prophets that gave one prophecy and you never heard from them again. You know, they didn't have a business card with the title prophet on it. And there are a lot of people that God called as a prophet, but they never, that was never said of them. And so it's really important that as we talk about this, that we move beyond titles, all right? I want to give you that up front because I think that's part of what people get sort of offended by. We're not trying to identify people so that we can call them that. Just because we've done that with pastor doesn't mean that that needs, needs to become an, a cultural norm. Um, in the church, but I do think it's important that we learn how to acknowledge and identify people that have a prophetic ministry and mantle on their life. And so this I find very important, just like we've done for the role of pastor. And I also believe, based on scripture, that if we can do that, what we will do is we'll find that the church is better off as a result of it, because the scriptures say very clearly that he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the building up and equipping of the saints. If we don't learn how to identify and receive what God has given in the ministry of the prophet, we will not be fully built up the way that I believe God has called us to. Or why would he give it to us to begin with, right? And so that's the issue. We've got to understand this is what God gave to his church and it matters. So that's the important part of this. Now, what I want to do is just tell you as we look at the question that I've already asked, are there prophets in the new covenant? Well, does the New Testament actually show us that, and it, and it does. In fact, there's an early church document called the Didache. Some people say it differently, but we believe this was influenced, if not written by some of the apostles. It's not scripture, but there's an entire half of a chapter devoted in that book to how to receive prophets. So it's really important. In the first century, the early church, they had this understanding, even though we don't necessarily today but what does the Bible say? Okay, I'm going to shotgun some passages out you so, at you, so get ready. And if you don't write them all down, they're all in this book as references. The first is Matthew chapter 23 and verse 34. Jesus said, I am sending you prophets. And he actually did that, which is what the New Testament shows. Now, the context of that is something that is going to happen, not something that has already happened. I am going to send you prophets. And he goes on to saying, you're going to kill some of them. And that is exactly what, what happened. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, it says this, and I've already quoted it to you. Jesus gave some as apostles, he gave some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Until... He's given us these five ministries to build the church up and send the church out until we attain the fullness of the measure which belongs to Christ. That has not happened, and I think we can all agree with that. What we're talking about is the second coming. So we 
still have these gifts and ministries available to the church for God's purposes. We have in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, and Acts chapter 21, verse 10 through 12, we read about a group of prophets from Jerusalem. And I want to remind you, they were called prophets in the scriptures. This is later on in the book of Acts. The book, the book of Acts represents 30 years. So we're talking way later from when the church began. Prophets were identified. They, it wasn't random. It was like, oh, I think they have a prophetic gift. No, these were prophets from Jerusalem. And among those was a man named Agabus who gave a clear prophetic word. He was one of the primary voices. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, prophets were identified in the city of Antioch. Acts 15, 32, two men named Judas and Silas were identified as prophets. 1 Corinthians 12, this is one of Paul's 13 letters. He's sending to the church in Corinth. He's correcting them because they're misusing and abusing gifts of the Spirit. And he lists the calling of a prophet as foundational to the church. Now think about that for a second. Paul says that prophets are foundational to the church. The question is, if that's true, then where are the prophets today? Some people have concluded, cessationists and others have concluded that prophets are not necessary or the gift of prophet is no longer available today. I would argue that that's not true. The gift of prophet is not identified today because theology has swept it under the rug. Ben, what are you talking about? Well, I know that if you've been at Northwest Church for a long time, you've heard Pastor Steve talk about Reformed theology or Calvinism. You might say, well, why was he so hard on that? Well, let me tell you why he was so hard on that. Because 97% of all commentaries based on the Bible are already either practical or fully cessationist. They're all reformed. And so what does that mean? That means 3% of all commentaries, when you send a pastor to a Bible college or a seminary, the commentaries, the books that they're going to read to train them for ministry are going to primarily be books that are against what we're talking about right now. So we're thankful for Pastor Steve doing Pentecostal commentaries. That's why we're funding it. That's why we believe in it. We're not just doing it because we love Pastor Steve. We're doing it because we believe that what he is doing is fundamental and necessary. Amen. That's what we're talking about. And so, Ben, are you just a, pride, a proud Pentecostal? No. I just realized that, that, that the books that are written to represent this perspective are not in plenty. And there's the, de the deck is stacked against what we're saying, all right? And so people aren't doing the digging that needs to be done. And then what you have is you have a, a large charismatic church that represents some of our views and they do it poorly. And I'm not trying to bang on the church because we've got enough of that going on today. But my point is, is that when you have inch deep theology and horrible practice, it is easy for people that don't believe what I'm saying today to just look at that and go, see, I told you so. It's almost like if you saw a dysfunctional family and that's all you ever saw, it would be a reason for somebody to say, see, there's no point in ever having kids because nobody can ever raise them right. You know what I mean? It'd, just be, it'd be the same thing. You know, it's like you, you can find a dysfunctional whatever anywhere and disprove whatever it is you're trying to say. But the reality is, is what does the Bible say? That's what we're really trying to get at, okay? So what I'm doing is showing you from scripture again and again and again that the Bible is very clear that there are prophets, they're identified, they're called out, they're foundational to the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, Paul gives instructions for what prophets are supposed to do in the city of Corinth. They're messing it up. 
Matthew 24, uh, 24, Acts 13, 6, 1 John 4, 1. Listen to this. The church was warned about false prophets multiple times, which indicates that there would be real prophets, and we need to know the difference. Wouldn't it be easier if Scripture just said, there is no such thing as a real prophet? But instead, it says you need to discern. Discernment, why? Because there's a real and there's a fake. That's what you do with, uh, f- with fake money. You discern. There's real and there's fake. We want to know the real. We're not interested in becoming authority on the fake. Who wants to know? Like, I'm the foremost authority on fake $100 bills. It's like, awesome. I want the real money, you know? I just don't want to get a fake one. That's all. You know what I'm saying? I want to know enough about the fake so that I don't ever use it in my life. That's what we're talking about. So, unfortunately, there are so many ministries out there that cut their teeth on telling everybody why everybody's bad. I don't even understand that. But you ain't heard that from me. No, you haven't. All right, I need to move on. That's what I recognized. Something was happening there, and I caught myself. You, don't, you didn't see it. I felt it. So there's no indication that this ministry will somehow go away, and the need for pastors, teachers, evangelists, and apostles and prophets is absolutely important. Now, there, are, there is erroneous teaching, misuse of the prophetic gift, title of the prophet, we talked about that, but that's not our Bible, okay? And so what I shared with you is um, just some of the many scriptures that we find. There are false prophets among God's people who try to elevate themselves and manipulate for financial gain to get prominence. I, I get that. I've, I've experienced some of that. I've got lots of stories in the book about that. I understand, but that, again, cannot be our Bible. So we have to move forward in a foundation that God has established prophets among a team of people that are useful to the church for the upbuilding and the sending out of God's people for, the, for us to be fully equipped. So we just accept that and we embrace it and develop our theology, not on our wounds or bad theology or bad examples, but on the Bible. Now, the first thing I want to talk to you about as we kind of guide or as I guide you through this conversation is that Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the pattern for all prophets. Now, this is going to become really important, and so I know that I'm going to take up a lot of time on these types of points, but the reason that I'm going to do so, and and I'm laboring to do so, is because it took me an extra six months to even discover what I'm about to share with you, so I pray that I can share it in a way that makes sense, because in my head, it does, but I'm hoping it comes out of my mouth in a way that makes sense to you, but but seeing the scripture as we do, Jesus is now the fulfillment, and he is therefore the pattern for all ministry. You might remember I talked about there were two specific prophets in the Old Covenant that established covenant between God and his people. That was Abraham and that was Moses. Now they were called prophets and part of their role as prophets primarily because you never read about them receiving a word from God and sharing it other than the writing of scripture, which we, we have the first five books of the Bible, which are accredited to Moses' writing from, as he received revelation from God. But outside of that, we don't have like them have some robust prophetic ministry. The word of the Lord came to me and they shared it. We don't see that in scripture. Maybe it was there. But one of their primary functions or their primary function was to establish covenant. God gave them a covenant that was to be facilitated between him and his people, and they got to bring that to bear, bring that to the people, so to speak. And so we see that in them, and it's so vital that we understand that. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses was preparing the people, as you know, uh, to go into the promised land. Moses was their leader, 
He was their mediator. He was their prophet. And he was not able to go into the promised land. Joshua was going to be his successor. And so he was preparing the people of Israel in order to follow him, or in order to, he was laying out sort of as his final um, dissertation of how they ought to be in the promised land. So as that was the case, what Moses was helping them understand was not just what they were going to know then, but also he gives like messianic prophecies. And one of them is in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18 through 19. I'm going to read it and this is what it says. He says, I will raise up a prophet. And this is God speaking through Moses. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. He'll be Jewish. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him, and it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, I want, I want you to think about this. Abraham and Moses establish a covenant between God and men, right? So what happens is Jesus is going to come and fulfill this word and this prophecy. It was a messianic prophecy that God gave through Moses to the people, and they understood that, but we don't because I've been in churches where they use this verse to claim that prophets today must be 100% accurate when they don't even realize that this actual scripture was a messianic prophecy of Jesus who was to come. Why would we think that? Well, we think that because the Bible itself interprets it many, many, many times. We're talking about the prophet, somebody that would be Jewish, somebody that would reflect Moses' ministry, establish a covenant not just a prophet, but the prophet. And so we notice from other passages, for example, John chapter one and verse 21, John the Baptist was specifically asked, are you the prophet who was to come? What were they asking him? They were asking if you are the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. The Jewish people knew this. We need to know this. Acts chapter three, verse 22, the apostle Peter's explaining the gospel to a crowd of Jews. And he referred to Jesus as the prophet who was anticipated from the time of Moses. And we see also not only that, but we see that Moses was a Jesus and following Moses' pattern, he had direct communication with God. He was God the Son. And he would mediate a new covenant through his blood that would forever change the relationship that people had with God. And so we read about this, this mediator shift, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 and Paul says to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And he gave himself as a ransom for all, as a testimony given at the proper time. Why am I saying this? Because Jesus changed all ministry, everything. Everything changes after Jesus. So what we see in the old covenant was a type and a shadow of what was to come in the new covenant. And now all ministry is to be patterned after Jesus. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the apostle. Jesus is the evangelist. Jesus is the pastor. He is the teacher. These were now his gifts to give away and everything is to be patterned after him. Look what John the Baptist says in John chapter three and verse 30. Remember this, he says, he must increase but I must decrease. Please never let that come out of your mouth in reference to yourself. Never. Why? Because John was not making a personal comment. John was the last prophet of the old covenant. And when he said this, he was saying, all that I represent must decrease. So all that Jesus is must increase. The old covenant 
must decrease. The new covenant that Jesus was about to establish in his blood. This was not some personal comment like, you know, 20 followers for John and 100 for Jesus. This was not about personal ministry and his church was down the street and Jesus' church was down this street and hey, you know, we've got to make sure that we um, emphasize Jesus' church a little bit more. No, no, no. This was a covenantal comment. And so when people say things like, I must decrease that he might increase, trust me, you do not have the ministry of John the Baptist. You do not need to decrease. Most people have no idea who we are. Okay, seriously, and our following on Facebook or Instagram, it ain't much. So this is not what he's talking about, okay? It's really important for us to get that the increase of Jesus was that there was no longer a need for prophets as mediators between God and his people because Jesus was going to establish as a mediator the once and for all relate, this, he was the once and for all sacrifice, he was the mediator between God and man and what he established for us invites us into a whole new way of life because of, it's a whole new relationship with God. And this is incredible. Look how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews chapter one and verse one. I told you 115 scriptures, guys. I told you. Drink from a flamethrower tonight. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. This verse does not mean that there are not prophets today. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't speak anymore. What it means is that the mediator role of the prophet in the old covenant is done away. Now we all are connected to the Father through Christ. We do not need a prophet to get to God anymore. Jesus is the prophet. He established a new covenant. We can now all hear God. Prophet's role, as you can very much tell in the new covenant, has now shifted from what it was in the old covenant. When people say, that the new covenant prophet is no different than the old covenant prophet. They have no idea what they're talking about. Old covenant prophets were mediators. They could hear God and the people, average people, could not. They did not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. They did not have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is a significant difference for us to understand. Now every ministry, including that of a prophet, is subject to the mission and the message and the ministry of Jesus. And so my point here is Jesus is the prophet that the scriptures prophesy about, speak about, lay a foundation for. Jewish people were awaiting. They were awaiting their Messiah and they knew that's what the reference was. Now, just for a moment, I wanna talk about how prophets of Jesus are similar to prophets under the old covenant, but they are not the same. And I think we can clearly see some of that based on the covenantal conversation that I'm bringing up. But let me describe some of the similarities, okay? Number one, both hear the voice of God in various ways. So you're gonna see that that's gonna be clear. Both are called to be prophets. I'm gonna explain that later. Both are anointed by the Holy Spirit to prophesy. It's one of their primary functions. Both have a uniquely marked life among God's people. As there are still prophets today, I have found people that I can clearly identify as prophets, new covenant prophets, they have a unique life. And I'll get to that here in just a little bit. But they carry a very important role and, it's, and we've got to understand that they're one of a team. There's not just a prophet and, and we flock to this person. They're one of a five-member team. It says in Ephesians chapter four, I just read it to you, verse 11 through 13, Jesus gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints 
to the work of, for the works of service until we all attain unity in the faith and maturity. And so this is important, right? What are the differences between Old Covenant and New Covenant prophets? Number one, prophets of Jesus do not write scripture. In fact, nobody in the New Covenant writes scripture anymore. There were some apostles that wrote scripture. But outside of that, we're not, we don't see anybody else doing that. Prophets in the New Covenant do not write scripture. Their role has fundamentally changed. Now, we made a case for prophets in the Old Covenant. Only some did, just a handful. But that's important. Number two, prophets of Jesus are not mediators. Now that all of God's people can hear his voice, John 10, 27, my sheep, uh, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Acts chapter two, we talked about in session three, or yeah, session three, we talked about how the, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit calls all of us into a place where we're anointed by God and we can prophesy. It says it several times. It was a prophecy from the book of Joel. No, this is really um, powerful because we all can have a relationship with God. We all can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We all can hear the voice of God. And so sometimes people will say, well, if that's the case, do you think we really need prophets? Yes, because their ministry has changed. And I'm gonna show you what that is. Number three, prophets of Jesus don't have divine exclusive authority. Prophets today are part of a team. Their words need to be discerned because they know in part, they prophesy in part. Now, there could be other differences, but these are the three. And I want to mention that I've seen a lot of people who don't, do not understand these three. And so what they do is they prophesy and they think that they, they speak as though they have divine exclusive authority. And they do not. That is why people, when they prophesy and they get angry that you don't listen to them, it is because they have a wrong mentality on what they're even doing. Nobody has been given those positions like we read about Moses and all these others. It's just not available today. Prophets in the new covenant are prophets of Jesus who manifest his words alongside his nature. This requires that we know the love of God in sending Jesus, the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus and the ministry of the Spirit to draw all people to Jesus. Prophets in the new covenant, like every other ministry, like every other person, have the same mission. And the mission was given as the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28, and Mark chapter 16, and Luke chapter 24, that we are called to preach the gospel to all people and make disciples of all nations. That is the absolute total call of the church. And so Anybody that has a ministry somehow is going to fit into that function. That is what Jesus called us to do. And what happens in anybody's thinking or ministry is when they start just prophesying and that's all that they do or whatever it is that they're gifted to do, if they only focus on that and they have no connectivity to the mission of God, then somehow it's going to get way off topic. And that's why we have all these people who are looking for the signs of the times. And Jesus already specifically said, you will not know. Oh my gosh. Jesus told us. We got books on blood moons and all kinds of stuff today. And it's not, it's like we ignored what Jesus said. He said, you will not know. Only the father knows. Stop looking. Start preaching. Start making disciples. This is what he told us to do. And so it's so easy for people with ministries to get off topic and then they're not even doing the will of God today. 
No, I'm serious. I've been in prophetic conferences and meetings. I remember one guy, one time we were at this prophetic conference and the guy's talking about, you know, God's really changing. He's a prophet. He's like, God's really changing my ministry. And he really showed me that we really got to go back to like sharing the gospel. And I was with somebody and they spoke out loud and he said, that's right. It's always been that way. <laughs> it was awesome. I was like, hey, calm down a little bit. It's amazing. It's like, did you just realize this? Have you been learning from Isaiah, an old covenant prophet? Probably. Because you didn't realize that the ministry that you've received has shifted and it needs to follow Jesus. It needs to follow the pattern of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the nature of Jesus. There should be no such thing as an angry prophet. Not when you follow Jesus. I mean, you might have an angry day. But we're not following Isaiah or Jeremiah. We can glean from their ministries, but it's weird how we would follow them and actually teach out of them with a non-covenantal understanding of who we are and what we do and why we do what we do. It's, it's strange, honestly. It's strange. And that's why there's so many ministries that get off base. A lot of them are just trying to collect money. I'll be honest with you. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm trying to tell you the truth. You can, you can tell I've taken a hard right from a lot of the charismatic stuff that's out there. I really have. I'm thoroughly charismatic, completely Pentecostal, but I've taken a hard right from some of this foolishness that I see in the world, in the world of Christianity. And I don't want to judge it because I want to pray that God's church would rise up and follow him with purity and devotion and stand on his word and not be chasing some prophecy. When you know who you are in Christ, I don't need you to affirm me. <laughs> I got the word of God. Now, if you give me a prophetic word and, and, and you, it, it confirms something powerful, right? Amazing. If you give me a prophetic word and it speaks to my heart, that's awesome. But listen, I've got the word of God and I want God's people to be strong in his word. We can't be yawning. We've got to be studying, right? This is what it's about. God's people can be strong as they follow his word. Amen. Next point I wanted to make. Prophets of Jesus point to Jesus. Prophets of Jesus point to Jesus. The old covenant, now, you, you gotta follow my thinking here, all right? Because I just remember writing this and it was like, rah, rah. that's what it felt like writing this chapter. But it's really good, I promise. The old covenant was based on the law, so the prophets of old called Israel to obey the law. And when, when the people of God remained in their disobedience, the prophet would at times pronounce judgment. Now, why would they do this? This was based on Deuteronomy chapter 28 and other passages. But when you read the Torah and you look at Deuteronomy 28, if you follow God's law and listen to his voice, you will be blessed. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 through 14. But if you disobey, you read the second half of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Then curses will come upon you. Well, guess what? Nobody could ever fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. So when the prophets came and spoke to Israel and told them to repent... And follow God, you can see this back and forth relationship with the people of Israel and Yahweh. You, right? you see this. It's very, very clear. And it looks as though God's people are fickle, which we are, including us in the church today. Because we could never fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. The law was not given so that we could fully obey it. The law was given to show us that we couldn't. It was a tutor leading us to our need for a savior. So the law is good and it's perfect and it's right. And it shows us that we need Jesus. And so it's important for us to understand that when we look at the prophets under the old covenant and as they called people to covenant faithfulness, 
We also know, according to Romans chapter 3, that they could never stay there, so judgment was always inevitable. Judgment always was inevitable. The law was righteous, and so were all of the correctional words of the prophets. Now, follow me, because Scripture teaches us in Romans, well, I'll just go into here, we needed a Savior, we needed a new covenant. This is why Jesus came. John chapter 1 and verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to offer grace. He lived without sin. He voluntarily gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He died on the cross. He supernaturally rose from the dead. He is the grace of God. He did what we could never do. He offers us forgiveness of sins, right standing with the Father. This is incredible because the whole old covenant shows us, gets us to the point where we hopefully understand we need Jesus Christ. And so the term, this is, we received Jesus and he, we realize that he's taken our judgment. Now, I want, you say, Ben, why are you talking about this? Oh, it gets good. We receive Jesus, and he, the wrath of God comes off of our life. I want you to hear that. The wrath of Almighty God is no longer resting on you. The wrath of God abides upon every person that has not bowed their knee to Jesus. This is a fact. When we die, we face Jesus, and we will receive either rewards based on how we lived before him, or we will receive condemnation. This is very clear. Many, many scriptures attest to this reality. So salvation, therefore, is not based on how we behave. It is based on what we believe. It is based on what we believe. We receive the grace from God, and he takes our judgment. So if a prophet, here we go, or any minister does not understand the new covenant, they are dangerous. I want you to think why. If a person does not get that Jesus Christ stood in our place when he died on the cross, he was dying in our place as the propitiation for our sins, those who believe, which means when you look back over all of the prophets who called the people of God to covenantal faithfulness and they never could do it and judgment was inevitable, Jesus had to come and take our judgment, which means every person that ministers under the new covenant has to understand that we are not bringing words of condemnation and judgment, Amen. not personally. Now, will God ever give tough words, hard words, corrective words? Of course he will. But that's not the primary way that he gives correctional words through prophets. You won't be able to find a lot of examples in the Bible. He establishes his church. He establishes authority, overseers, bishops, deacons, so that the church could function together, be accountable to one another, authority, relationship, as the body of Christ moves together. That's why Matthew chapter 18 takes great pain to explain to us how we are to deal with sin among the church because God's not trying to send prophet after prophet. We all have the spirit of God living in us. So correction is now an adjustment in the body of Christ that we are supposed to help each other with, speak the truth in love, and having doing so, you will grow up into Christ who is the head. This is Ephesians chapter four. But there are people out here that have this mentality that it is their job as a prophet to go and give judgment words to God knows who. And the reason that it doesn't come to pass is because they don't know what they're doing. 
They are basing their ministry off of something that Jesus himself fulfilled. It is crazy. But a lot of them are bestsellers, right? Yeah, sells books. Why? Because people love fear and judgment. We're attracted to it. Now, I'm not saying that every word has to be fluffy and puffy, but I am saying that this is why you and I have seen a lot of horrible words shared that have never come true. It is because people do not understand. There's a lot of prophets out there, and they rise to the top. They do not understand the new covenant. We are preachers of Jesus. We point to Jesus. We are pro- any prophet is a prophet of Jesus, the one who took away wrath. And a lot of them don't preach Jesus. They don't point to Jesus. They don't point people to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to give grace like Jesus, to speak like Jesus, to study the words of Jesus. This is the ministry of a new covenant prophet. All right, so are you following me? Old covenant prophet. They called God's people to the law. New covenant prophet. Call God's people to follow Jesus. What about Jesus? His mission. Carry his message. Follow his ways. Be faithful and obedient to what he has said. This is what some of these prophets will do. It's not just about giving these words of judgment anymore. Even the old covenant prophets did that as a last resort after time and time again calling God's people to obey what he had already said in his word. Now, people disagree with me on this. They will say, well, no, you know, God wants to give, you know, judgment words. There are exceptions in the Bible where God brought judgment, but you're primarily not going to see that judgment wrought about through a prophet and through a prophetic word. Not like you do in the old covenant. Does God judge today? Sovereignly, God can do what he wants to do. There are things that God is going to do and clearly the book of Revelation lays out the final judgment. But we are living in a dispensation of grace where we are called to preach the good news of Jesus so that all people would come to salvation. We are declaring to men and women that there is one who took your place in judgment. And if you bow your knee and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, guess what? To the glory of God the Father, you shall be saved. So how can you be an angry prophet when we know what God has done in Christ? When we know that it's not about your faithfulness to the law and the old covenant, but it is about your allegiance to Jesus who took your place in death and rose again so that you and I might rise to new life. We've got to have a smile on our face. That's not fair, I know. It's not fair what I just said there. We've got to have this. And so, yes, I have a hard time sometimes when I see angry prophets preaching doom and gloom. It doesn't mean they're always wrong, but I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious because it's not God's nature and character when you see the Father send the Son and the Son give his life for sinful people. This is God's character and God's heart towards us. This is his love towards us. So it's important for us to realize that this comes behind a perspective of the new covenant. Now, as we're gonna study in the book of Revelation, chapter one through three, through the apostle John, there is this laying out based on a vision 
of Jesus's correction and commendation of his seven churches in Asia Minor. We're going to actually study that. And that to me is the first thing that Jesus does when he addresses his church is he encourages them. He says, this thing you have done good. And then he goes on to say, but this thing you got to change. And it's very serious. So that to me is one of the only exceptions that we see in the new covenant, but it's also scripture. And that's not what we're writing today. And so we obviously follow this realizing that God can give judgment warnings and corrections, but this isn't the primary role of the new covenant prophet. And that has fundamentally shifted. Now, I've met many people claiming a word from God or calling themselves prophets. They speak in a way that uh, is exclusive, unquestionable, divine authority. They marvel when people don't obey their words. I do not listen to people like that. I don't. I mean, I'm just being really honest with you. And the reason is they don't have an understanding of the new covenant. They do, no person in this room or on this planet has divine exclusive authority. Nobody. Nobody is a mediator between God and man except for Jesus Christ. Nobody. And if anybody speaks in a way where they try to manipulate you or me, if you ever feel pressured by somebody giving you a prophetic word as though you need to follow them, reject that notion right there. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. We've got to put that stake way down in the ground and never get it back up. I have helped a lot of people out of some religious bondage where a prophet or a prophetic person gave them a word and they've been living for years out of the fear of this word or the bondage of this word or what direction should I go? Read the Bible and follow what it says and as God helps direct you, then just add that to where you're going. We don't have to be confused. We don't need all of that. God will confirm. God will affirm as we continue to follow him. I love the prophetic gift. I love the prophetic ministry, but we don't want to become prophet junkies or prophetic junk. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, all right. How did that go the last 15, 20 minutes? Was that all right? All right. So you're going to see a lot of people over the years that have prophetic ministries. You're going to watch them fall. You're going to watch them fall. Why? Because they're not, the train is not on the tracks. The train is not on the tracks. And I unapologetically am going to continue to lead this church to preach the gospel of Jesus to all creation and to make disciples of all nations because that comes from the lips of Jesus Christ. And if we get caught up in other stuff, becoming a prophetic church, we are a church that prophesies. We are a church that gives words of knowledge. We are a church, that, but we are a church focused on the mission of God because it is the new covenant that he established through his blood, that message that's changed and transformed our life that we give to other people. This is vital. This is absolute. All right, so people ask me, have you gone to this church and that church? I have not. I'm not interested. I'm interested in being with you guys and you online as well. I'm interested in seeing a multi-generational, multicultural church get raised up in federal way that knows the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that is focused on the mission of Jesus with the message of Jesus, making a dent and kicking back the kingdom of darkness. That's what I'm concerned about. I'm not trying to go all over the nation and find the hot spot of God's glory and anointing. And I've heard that teaching. You want to go, you know, you want to humble yourself and go to where the glory is. No, don't... The, the, the anointing of the Spirit of God is on you. Amen. 
on you. You don't got to go anywhere. You just got to go to him. And we don't believe that. We, we've stopped believing that. And, and, and I'm not saying that God isn't doing some special things all over the world. God bless everybody. But I'm not trying to get on the train of what other people are doing. I mean, I'll bless them in Jesus' name. Praise God. No, I've never been to Bethel or anything. I haven't been. I'm not interested. I'm interested in sitting with you. I'm interested in calling prayer meetings where we pray down heaven in this place. I can't wait until we have this entire building full, post-COVID, with people who are praying, young and old, men and women. That's what I want to see. I think a revival has happened when the people of God come to the prayer meeting, honestly. I don't know why in the world people will go so far to some other state and spend all this money, but they won't show up at the prayer meeting. There's no wonder why we don't have revival. There's no wonder. We can't have revival with that kind of activity. I don't care how far you go to get the anointing and get the fire. You're not going to come back and light us all up. It's burdensome for me. And so, yes, I'm a li- so sometimes I walk around the church and I ask people, I go, did you come to the prayer meeting? I'm not trying to be judgmental. I just believe in revival. I walk around the church and I ask people, did you fast? I see the guilt. I'm not, I'm not trying to get people to be burdened. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get people to believe. Amen. I want us to believe that God can do what the Bible says he can do. But it's got to be the Bible way. Fasting and praying and seeking. A group of people that make a decision that what God wants to do is more important than what we have going on. And everything that I've ever read about revival is about people humbling themselves and seeing God do those kinds of things. That's everything I have ever read. It's when a group of people make a decision, not one person, not just one guy, not just one woman, but a gr- there's a group of people. He might have used one as a spearhead, but the, the stories aren't being told about the 500 or the 100. It's, it's funny how we exalt and put on a pedestal one person. It's amazing how we do that, but the reality is, is that it's gotta be us. When Jesus came into his ministry, one of the first things that he did is he said, you, 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 follow me. He grabbed a team. And that was a fundamental shift from just the Moses and the Jeremiah's. He called his disciples, his apostles. There was a group of people. So yes, I'm going to go after you. You should expect it. It's coming. Prophets of Jesus pointed to you. I know I got way off topic. I really did. It was amazing. I don't know if you were there when I did it, but it was awesome. So the religious leaders who opposed Jesus' ministry in John chapter 9 and verse 28, they pointed to Moses as their prophet. In the same way, prophets of Jesus are compelled to point to the person and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ as their source and their standard for all things. This is what I'm trying to say. And that's a discerning factor for us when we're ever going to look at the ministries of those that call themselves prophets, or even if some of you here have been called to the ministry of a prophet. I believe that God has put all of his ministries in his church. But our problem is, is that we think that if I'm called to be a prophet, then I've got to look like Isaiah. Isaiah was an international prophet. He was one of 15 that wrote scripture. We've got to stop the comparisons and realize some people who are called to be a prophet are just called to be a prophet to 20, 30, 40 people. It's a job description. It's a function. It's an operation. It is not about status and prominence. We've got to let the titles go and realize it's about the anointing to accomplish the ministry that God has given to his church. And when we get that, 
and we drop all the other stuff, we realize that we can function a lot more clean, if that makes sense. We're cleaner. And we can see what God wants to do happen in, in our midst. But when we're pursuing that ministry, oh, God's given me a ministry. Well, just do it. Stop waiting for one of these. I mean, I could do it without this. You, we don't need that. We just, whoever God's put in front of us, people say, what's my calling? Who's God put in front of you? What's in, in front of you? Prophets will inevitably give away the ministry that God has given to them within the context that they have. So we gotta stop pursuing the thing like in some formal setting and realize it's always going to be contextualized in front of our face with the people that we have influence with. We, just, we start chasing this thing and we never get it. So many people are waiting for that day, for the, the upgrade, the acceleration, the anointing. Forget it. Maybe he's given you two people. Is that enough? <laughs> And maybe it's son and daughter. I don't know. But you're a prophet to your own home for sure. But if we're not taking authority in the arena that we have, why would we seek more? No, no. There's a passage in 1 Timothy, I believe it is. And he says this about overseers. It's a good thing to become an overseer, or desire to be an overseer. And he goes on to say, if one of the qualifications, if someone doesn't manage their own household well, then how can they manage the house of God? Well, take that principle and apply it to everything. If we don't manage what we do have, why would we want more than what we don't have? But so many people will seek something that's beyond them. Probably it's not for them. And this applies to mentorship and discipleship. Man, I've got so much stuff flowing to me right now. People are like, I want a discipler. I want a mentor. And they can never find one. It's because they won't submit to the one in front of them. I don't want to talk to you about that, but we could talk about that. You know, it's the weirdest thing in the world for people to say, Pastor Ben, I want a mentor. I'm like sitting right there and I'm going, okay, you know. I really don't think you're going to get one. Because <laughs> you just, you know, they got to be young. They got to be old. They got to be male. They got to be this. They got to be that. Who's God got in front of you? I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. It's not rocket science. All right, what are you talking about, Ben? Glad you asked. Prophets of Jesus strengthen people. All right, now I want to give you four quick ways. I won't go through this at length, but I will go through it briefly. These are four things that I think prophets of Jesus do in strengthening people. Number one, prophets of Jesus prophesy. Okay, they do that consistently. All words have power, but words from God have supernatural power. All right, and so they, they have words that stick. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Those are the guiding principles for new covenant prophecy. Pro prophetic words strengthen us by releasing confidence, faith, clarity, and they help us to step up and speak up. They give us confirmation. Secondly, prophets of Jesus equip. That's that Ephesians 4, 7 through 13 principle. So this is something that they do. They want other people to hear the voice of God and prophesy. They don't just want to prophesy themselves. And that's from scripture. And so we see that right there. Prophets of Jesus, number three, impart. Now I know that in the Pentecostal charismatic world, we've botched this one pretty hardcore. We have impartation services and it's become very cheap. You know, I want the impartation from this person and that person. And so it's become like a service. 
But that isn't necessarily how it was created to be. I mean, honestly. I mean, if you're not living a devoted and disciplined and faithful life, you can't just go get impartation and, you know, it's like, (laughs) you you understand what I'm, like, it's a spiritual impartation that God adds to us as we minister to one another, but it it doesn't supplement obedience, right? It just doesn't, and it will never do that. But I do believe that prophets will bring a level of impartation when they pray for and prophesy over people. We see that in Acts 13. We see that 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 1. Paul and the body of elders imparted a spiritual gift to Timothy through a prophetic word in the laying on of hands. But I want you to note, it was Paul and it was Timothy, this significant relationship. You have a younger person that's submitted to an older person. You have a young pastor submitted to an older apostle. And in that relationship, God imparted something from him. So you have a submitted, discipling relationship where there was impartation. I just wonder if we've cheapened a lot of this out, which is why we don't ever receive it and we chase it the way that we do. You know, we just go from conference to conference. Some people do, and they want this impartation and they never get it. And I think it's partly because we've cheapened it out. That's what I think personally. And so, you know, that's why the local church is so important, right? Because We know and we are known here. We know and we are known here. You can't get away with, if you're known in the local church, you can't get away with the foolishness, right? I mean, you can go to conference to conference, you can hop around and nobody ever knows you and just wait for the impartation and whatever and and shake and twitch and fall and, and... And some of that stuff happens. I mean, seriously, I prayed for a lot of people, they all that. But I'll tell you what, if you're not known in the body of Christ, influencing and impacting and discipling, the legacy of what we're doing here never lives on. And it's centered around me and what I get out of it. That's not, I don't want an impartation from God through a man for myself. I pray that what we carry, my wife and I, is an impartation for our children. I pray that what we carry is found in both our words and our example so that when I lay my hands on my kids, something happens. When I lay my hands on people in our church, something happens. The word in Hebrew for ordain, it literally means to fill the hands. When I put my hands on somebody, I've got to make sure that I'm carrying some clean stuff. That's the way that I see it. It means to fill the hands. There was this concept that when I put my hands on you, there is a impartation of sorts. And I think there's a lot of uncleanness that's being passed around which is why not a lot of stuff is happening. But I think when the church is purified and they're prayerful and they're discerning and they're together, I think impartation becomes legacy and we see it and we share in the testimony of the Lord. We watch our children rise up and say that we are blessed. We see something happen that God intended with all this instead of some of this charismatic chaos that we see that the world makes fun of. We've got to restore it. That's what my heart is. I want to restore this stuff. I want when people speak a prophetic word in our church, I want like it straightens us up a little bit because we know that we're seeking the Lord, that we're fasting and we're praying and it's not some cheap thing that I just yawned at. Like we are pressing in. And when I speak to you, I speak to you for your strengthening and for your edification and for your comfort. And God moves through the church of Jesus Christ in a powerful way. Again, we've seen it in the past. I believe we're gonna see it again. Prophets of Jesus in part, prophets of Jesus also discern. Now, um, 
I have to close by just sharing with you these principles and then we'll pray. But um, I'm gonna throw these at you real quick because I told you I had too much to go over. And so you gotta know when to fold them, but I definitely wanna tell you these things. How do you know if you're a prophet of Jesus? You might be sitting there, how do I know? I think I am. Actually, Ben, I think talked me out of it. (laughs) If you can get past what I just did, I think God might actually put something on your life, you know. I hope, I pray that whatever I said wasn't negative, it wasn't, I am concerned, I must tell you that, I am deeply concerned. I was involved in a lot of the charismatic river, but I've watched it go so far astray, and I'm just extremely concerned about it. I've seen some of my friends, it's, 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 it's following people around with a camera and getting a testimony to share it on their Facebook to get likes and get affirmed. That, that bothers me deeply. It bothers me, just to be honest with you. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that. I could, there might be benefit in that, but I just feel like, why don't we just minister? Nobody has to see it. God knows it, you know it, we see it, but it becomes normal. Why has it gotta become a circus? Why can't it become normal in our church? Why can't it become normal in our children's ministry? Why can't it become normal among our youth? Why can't it become normal among our staff? Why can't it become normal in our homes and our life groups? Why can't the gifts of the Spirit just become so normal that nobody ever thinks to take out their phone and, and show it? Because it's just so much how we are. To the point where we'll never have a prophetic conference because we're a prophetic people. And we understand what it is and what it's for and how we function with the precious blessings, the spiritual gifts of of God. We've made it into such a thing that I think that it's become obscure and like a novelty. I traveled. I went to 200 churches or however many it was. And it was almost like, Ben, do that thing that you do. (laughs) It was like a novelty. And my heart was always to equip people to prophesy. But did we want to learn how to prophesy and hear from God and minister? Or did we just want this person to give me something to give a shortcut to God? Sometimes that's good. Sometimes we confirm and we affirm and we need that. I'm not trying to put it down. But I just feel like culturally in the charismatic church, we've taken that too far. And so bringing it back, my heart is to see the impartation of the gifts of the Spirit normalized in the church. How we get there, we've got to work this out together. And the best strategies that I have are probably going to fall short. So you're saying, well, how do I know if I'm a prophet of Jesus? Number one, you've received the calling of a prophet. It doesn't matter how that comes. That comes in different ways, but it does come. Somehow that is spoken to you or received by you. Number two, the anointing to prophesy. Do you prophesy on a consistent basis? And I would say over a period of like five to 10 years, of having accurate prophetic words. I would never identify somebody as a prophet outside of probably 10 years, ever. I would never call somebody a prophet outside of that personally. You have to have at least 10 years of credible ministry. I mean, even for me to get ordained, I think I had to have like six years, personally, I did. Before I could get ordained, I was licensed and six years later ordained because I had to have six years of credible ministry that qualified me for them to lay hands on me and ordain me. That's, that was my walk. And I'm glad that I had six years. Some people was two, <laughs> but they gave me an extra four. Just want to be sure. Number three, the confirmation of community. 
Has your prophetic call been confirmed by the body of Christ? This is where we fall short quite a bit. If I ever met, meet somebody, I've met people before. One lady sat with me one time and she said she was a prophet to Washington State. And uh, nobody had a clue who she was. She was a prophet in her own mind, but she had never been in a church long enough to be confirmed by the community, which was part of her downfall. Because every time she'd prophesy, people would get angry and upset, or people would not receive it, and then she'd get angry and upset, right, as a result of that. Well, it's because she was wrong, and she didn't have a new covenant mentality, and, and that was part of it, but she wouldn't listen So if a person claims to be a prophet but has no history of being recognized or confirmed by leaders, their church, or their personal community, I'm pretty skeptical right there, personally. And so what I'm doing is, as the pastor, I'm looking for those gifts of God in people. I'm trying to identify who's been called to what. That's why I want to understand the gifts of the Spirit so so much so that I can, and the new book that I have coming out called Spiritually Gifted actually walks people through a mindset of how we discover what God has given to us in a very simple discerning way. And part of that process is that we have to affirm it in each other. It can't just be what I think. I can't think I have the gift of discernment, even though I'm gullible, right? And everybody else around me doesn't think I'm discerning, right? It doesn't make sense. So number four, the passion for discipleship, that's equipping. Number five is the burden for holiness. I I think prophets of Jesus carry a unique burden to see God's people set apart. So They bring tension sometimes. They bring exhortation. They bring uh, provocation. They're they're constantly, you know, moving God's people. I think pastoral anointing brings the mercy gift, right? God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. The prophetic ministry, you need to love God. (laughs) You see where I'm going with this? But you put them together on a team and you see how it works. Isn't that amazing, right? You see how the team works together. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, They work together to equip God's people for works of service. So sometimes, like if you, and I'll close by saying this and and we'll pray, but sometimes, like if I were to ask you who are your favorite teachers or preachers in the body of Christ, some people identify with teachers because of how God's wired them. Some identify with prophets because they love just that hard smacking truth or even if they're gracious, I believe new covenant, you know, Some people identify more with pastors because of the mercy gift, that sensitivity, that compassion. Some people identify more with the evangelist, the proclaimer. They see it in scripture everywhere they go. They see that proclamation. And and so they identify with people that speak that way. Some, it's the apostle, that, that builder. Let's get over that mountain. Let's build this thing. Let's new ventures for the Lord, kingdom endeavors, right? So church planting, missionary sending. We identify, we resonate with certain people as a result of sometimes how we're wired and how God's called us. And so I'm always looking for that too because I think there's something of the anointing of God even in our hearing. Even though we wanna expand and be able to receive from everyone, I believe, but there's something powerful about even knowing that. So the burden for holiness, when you carry that, I believe also you, it resonates with you when people speak of that. I can tell you from experience that whenever I have preached on the holiness of God, being separate unto him. Now, we are separate unto him in Christ because that's what the blood of Jesus has done. He has separated us in Christ unto himself. But I'm talking about holy living where we willingly choose to live a life holy and completely set apart unto God. When I preach on the holiness of God, the glory of the Lord touches 
people. I mean, I can give you all kinds of examples to that, but there's something powerful about preaching the holiness of the Lord. Now, I'm not calling myself a prophet, but I am saying that those that have that calling of a prophet carry the burden for holiness. And there are some that will kill them for that. I mean, they hate hearing that message. They want to be comfortable, not consecrated. But we need that. We need the mercy gift, and we also need that holy consecration call to God's people. We need it all, you know. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.